welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast. With us today is Marlis Rogers, CISO at CSAA Insurance Group, and we're here to talk about breach and attack simulation. Marlis, thanks so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thanks for having me. First, a brief word from our sponsor. You're in charge of cybersecurity at your company, but do you really know what's going on with your security controls? Are they actually working to keep you safe? The problem is when controls fail, they fail silently. That's why you need Attack IQ, the automated insights platform to continually validate your defenses. Better insights, better decisions, real security outcomes. That's Attack IQ. Check it out at attackiq.com. And thank you, Attack IQ, for sponsoring this show. I want to talk a little bit about breach and attack simulation, and I wanted to sort of cover, I guess, the most critical and most uh, important question of them all to get started. And that is, how do we pronounce that? Is it B-A-S? Is it Bass? Or is it Baz? I'm going to say Baz, although I like Bass because I like fishing, but we'll do Baz. We'll go with Baz. All right. Well, Marlis, why don't you tell us a little bit about your career in InfoSec and a little bit about your day job? Well, I've been in tech for almost 20 years, but my focus on InfoSec actually started when I was responsible for the first cloud deployment at American Express, followed by their first BIOD offering. So it really forced me to very quickly understand the security requirements. And I basically dove in and I never looked back. Um, you know, I, I took that knowledge and I used it when I moved over to PayPal, running oversight for information security and technology. I now use that experience in deploying platforms and risk management every day. I'm currently the CISO and head of technology oversight at CSA Insurance Group, and we're part of the AAA Federation. I'd say my day job now is, is running security for the company, you know, as you'd expect, as well as governance, risk, and compliance for technology. I guess in running both of those efforts in my role, it feels like I'm constantly balancing my time with assessing risk and preventing it. Much of the focus I have um, every day is really driving our current strategy, but it's really also about educating stakeholders, the leadership team and the board on the progress against our risks. And, and, and frankly, I love it. I love what I do every day. You touched on all my favorite points of the job as well. You talked about risk, which is always my number one. You talked about uh, influencing stakeholders and, 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 you know, now we're talking about culture and we're talking about selling security to the business, right? There's another good checkbox for me. And, uh, and you mentioned a little bit about the actual tech stack and managing the, the risk directly as well as the cloud background. That's fantastic. So you've, you've got the all around CISO cred is what you've got. Yeah, I got it all. I've done everything. I've seen everything it feels like. So Baz has always struck me as a hallmark of security program maturity. In other words, uh, you're going from merely having your shields up, uh, as my friend Taylor puts it, to verifying their actual efficacy. Do you agree with that model? Does BAS make sense in the early stages of a program, or is it a later stage proposition? Can it be used effectively, you know, as, as you're deploying your new shields? I do agree it is a hallmark of maturity, but you don't have to be mature to start using it. I think in terms of being most effective, I think about it like this. BAS is most effective when you have some or most of your intended controls in place. So you can focus on anything you need to strengthen, right? It's kind of a one size fits all. You've got things in place. You want to go back and check and start to measure over time how well you're doing. 
but it, it doesn't take that necessarily to you know, make it most effective. For us, when we started this work last year, we were actually part of the way through our progress on our roadmap. And I'm actually glad we did it earlier than later because it takes time to learn both the tools and the ways to utilize them. And there's also a pretty good lead time in getting the systems to integrate because there's a lot of different things you're feeding into that. And it does take some time for those plugins. Um, all that being said, using it actually never hurts. And one use case I'd mention is that leveraging Baz early or midstream when you're just getting your policies in place is a great way to course correct when you need it. So for instance, it helped to prioritize our focus on some of the enhancements and our use case development for the SOC. So you're saying it is a hallmark of maturity and yet getting it early and, and often is really sort of key to its success as well. So the trick is to deploy it a little bit before you know you need it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All and right. then you can use it whenever you need it. it. It's one of those things where it sort of has this constant payback. And I think the more you use it over time, um, the more your learnings kind of get incorporated into the different programs. Right. And to your point, too, the better the tech stack integration occurs, too, because every every time you're running a breach and attack simulation, what you're really saying is, how's this piece of the tech stack doing? How's that piece doing? And ultimately getting that feedback and fine tuning, you, you sort of get a closed loop on the tech stack going if you if you do it correctly, right? Yeah, you do. And every time you're adding something new to the tech stack, it's some new piece of information that it's informing something else. So it can never not be a good idea to do it at all times, frankly. It's just I gotcha. you know, carving okay. out the time to do it. So incorporating Baz, one usually incorporates MITRE attack framework, right? That seems to be the, uh, the, the best of the frameworks to apply to Baz. And that means you need a reliable data source to feed your simulation. And now here's MITRE attack framework saying we can be that source. But a new version of MITRE attack seems to come out every, what, three or four months? How do you stay up with it? It does kind of feel like an impossible effort with how much it changes. And, you know, the, the good news is the BAS platform we have does stay current. But what I would also add is we're also leveraging threat intelligence. Um, we've been able to provide deeper proactive insights to the BAS efforts. And that combination has also allowed us to move forward from actionable intelligence to proactive testing to determine if we can defend against those immediate threats. So it's kind of a combination. Also, when working in conjunction with threat hunting, Baz serves as a complement by providing some of those simulated attacks that meet some of our initial threat hunting hypothesis um, or targets. I mentioned that example really because, you know, when we were doing some threat hunting, focusing on lateral movement, everything about what you talked about with the MITRE attack framework changing, well, so do our environments, right? So you've got this combination happening. And Baz, in that instance, was used to generate kind of the initial attack. We spearheaded the data analytics, worked through the known variables, and it helped to really speed up our threat hunting processes, right? Trying to keep current with what's out there. And ultimately, we were able to kind of build out those detection use cases and prevention capabilities. So it's while it's always changing, I think the way you use it in combination with threat intelligence is, is really unhelpful. The other thing I'd mention is our BAS does have a program that we're enrolled in, and it provides guidance, report sharing, and it's really provided us this bigger community that spreads across multiple organization types, verticals, to provide some of that up-to-date community information on attack patterns. It essentially opens the door to more real-time and real-world efforts. And what's great is some of the simulations are shared across companies to kind of enable that rapid response. So 
for instance, some of the newest TrickBot simulations. And those reports really help to get us up to date on our detection capabilities and keeping us current. So it's a lot of combination work. I'd say, yeah, we do rely on the BAS quite a bit, but it really has to be a combination of all of those things coming together. So you're talking about almost a virtualized ISAC. You're kind of talking about like a crowdsourced threat intel model to complement your attack framework. So now you got the twin streams of threat intel and attack framework coming in and feeding the whole process. And it's even able to feed your threat hunting, which is outstanding. That's that's really cool. I hadn't thought about flipping it over to be a proactive threat hunting enablement tool, but I totally get that. I've only ever seen it used as strictly sort of the, the cyclical pattern we described earlier, where you're attacking the tech stack, fine-tuning the tech stack, and, and using it for the threat hunting, is that's a that's fantastic. And the crowdsourcing piece of it is, that's really cool too. I like, I like that. I like that a lot. There's so much more time that should be spent doing that and so many more people that could be doing it. And it's one of those ways to really extend that by leveraging all those capabilities together. And that's where we've seen, you know, more focus in terms of our maturity in that space. It is definitely a game changer. I'm going to make some notes here. Obviously, for all this to work, and, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna switch gears and get away from the threat hunting team and 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 back into the more traditional use of Baz, and we're gonna talk about the red and blue team and or the purple team. You know, pick your color. Have you mixed your Have you mixed your red and blue yet and made purple? When you deploy Baz, I assume you already had a purple team or a red and blue team set up, or did you reorganize your team around the new tool? If other CISOs don't have a purple team in place, like how would you suggest they effectively roll out Baz? Yeah, last year, I would say we actually had a really big moment of, okay, now we're changing, now we're maturing. How do we want to think about reorganizing our functions? And so we did reorganize our teams last year. Um, Originally, the SOC did report to me as a separate function. And it was interesting because having the SOC report directly to the CISO seems like a given. And it's not to say that I'm not directly involved in everything the SOC is doing, But I felt like having them as a separate function directly reporting to me was kind of segmenting the team in a way that wasn't creating a lot of cohesion and collaboration that we needed. And so while they still operate as a true SOC, we actually assessed the whole defensive offensive model approach. And so what we did in doing some analysis, evaluation, looking at the tools, bringing it all together, we did bring them into one org. It really helped you know, initially to kind of break down the walls because we included pen testing, the application security, vulnerability management. At the same time, we were trying to, you know, sort of blow out and and build out our threat intelligence function. So having all of these areas together into one leader made an impact really almost immediately. And going back to the answer I just gave in my my previous question, I think that that's one great example of how that all came came together, right? You had the Baz and the Threat Intel kind of working together and tag teaming. Baz did come into play as we were making all of these changes. So we were in the middle of that implementation. You know, as I mentioned, we were trying to build out our threat intelligence, but it kind of drove the whole basis of our purple team. So you had your red and your blue, and then, you know, how do we kind of create this sort of purple team? And what I'd say, you know, kind of thinking about the question around, you know, CISOs and whether or not you have it, in some ways, Baz is in and of itself, it's almost its own purple team. Initially, we used it as an opportunity to start the conversation with teams on the effectiveness of their policies and use cases. And I think, you know, in any tech stack, any tech group, security especially, there's a lot of pride in the tools, the way that things have been built out. 
one thing that we did sort of in this purple team kind of effort and using the BAS was in providing that data from the BAS work, there was really a great starting point to talk through improvements. Of course, it did trigger some degree of defensiveness at the beginning, but you know they were all part of one team. And so starting first with the SOC, having that conversation, talking about ways we could improve, it really did come down to some of those human elements. And you know, as I mentioned, cohesion, number one priority, I think, of security and, you know, seeing the teams come together, talk through some of the observations from Baz, it really meant, um, you know, having a data-driven approach. In, in so many things that we do, that's what we're always talking about, data-driven approach. Well, that's really what Baz is, right? It's, it's producing data to talk about how well, how effective we are being without anyone's opinion, without any sort of anecdotal ideas and really gets to the heart of the matter about how we need to do what we're doing. We did learn that as the Purple team, you know, sort of approached this, there was a little more transparency, I think, at the beginning, so that it created more of a partnership, because obviously, we didn't just stop at the SOC. We went to, you know, our network security, looked at our endpoints, things like that. But it did cause more of that kind of active conversation and partnership. And so, yes, we did reorganize, we did bring those teams together and that's where we started. But as we built out kind of this purple team function, initially you, you kind of want them to be sort of secret in the background, you know, providing some of that input. But ultimately they're, they're really trying to drive a lot more transparency because we're still trying to mature as a program. Again, back to the question. So if you don't have a purple team, meaning you don't have humans in place, I mean, the Baz is there, you know, whether you have you know, something in place, you're mature, you're at that point, it's really a great place to start to just use it for its basic capabilities and start to drive out things like, has your control tool set grown out of date? Just getting to some of those things and kind of informing it from a quote, purple team perspective. It's, if anything, it, it should help to build the use case for hiring people to do nothing but that function by demonstrating what Baz can produce and show the teams and where more people are needed to focus and and even possibly tools. It just exposes so much in terms of gaps that you may not be able to solve with what you have. You know, one way to look at it is it's also, you know, a potential way to justify some of that future investment or things that you may need. So there's quite a few things there I want to unpack. So one thing is data-driven. That's brilliant. That's really what you're doing. You're deriving a meaningful stream of data to point to your whole operation and say, where are the areas to improve, right? What's working, what's not working. Maybe something's obsolesced. Maybe we need to tweak the settings on something else. Something else we thought was working is doing nothing, whatever the story might be. So there's a data-driven component. I love that. At the beginning of your answer, you talked about organizing your entire team, starting with the SOC and folding everyone in. And to me, regardless of an actual attack and defend role, you were sort of doing at a, at a higher level the purple team philosophy anyway. In other words, at least bringing together the detectors and defenders with SOC and, and tech stack team, right? And, and yeah. now GRC team rolls to you too, and, and, and now you've got the purple team. So you're already making your entire security operation very inclusive and very community-oriented in the sense of my role might be to attack, mine might be to defend, mine might be to detect, but everybody's working together in harmony. And, and you mentioned there was a little bit of defensiveness on the part of some folks one thing I've personally seen with Baz, and, and, and you tell me if you've seen this as well, is that some of the folks will get to a point where they are on the defensive side. They are 
looking at their tech stack, seeing the data come in saying your defenses aren't good enough, and rather than get defensive about that and feel attacked or, you know, whatever, as people, right? I mean, the personality defensive about it. They will actually see it as an opportunity to get new toys. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that's that's awesome. So you mentioned earlier owning the GRC team as well. So I'm going to ask you a two-part question now. How has Baz helped you in your conversations with the audit team? And how has Baz helped you in your conversations with the GRC team? Owning the GRC team, it makes it kind of easy, but I'll, I'll kind of answer both, I'd say, kind of together, but then separate. So it's very interesting in the use of Baz and the implementation because it is such a direct demonstration, as we talked about at the beginning, about the maturity, because you aren't just talking about threats. You're talking about threats as they apply to the environment. So, you know, as I think about audit, first of all, the idea is we do plan to share more of this data with audit. I am a huge believer that your audit partners are your greatest allies and friends in the organization. They are there to help security to enforce not only the policies within technology that have such an impact on security, but also help to become a support partner to how security is able to enforce policy at the company. And so when you're able to provide really straightforward information like you see from Baz, it becomes very helpful. And so we've started to pull this information into our committees. It is also my intention that we will start to approach future audits with, by the way, when you come in and look at this particular area, here's how we're looking real time with Baz. And I think that's a really important point to call out is that unlike traditional approaches like red team or pen tests, where it's you know, it's good, it's very helpful, very important, but it feels a little sort of point in time. And when you're working with audit, the BAS is kind of that point in time we're showing and demonstrating the continued testing of controls. I think that's really important when you think about audit and GRC, because it's really about that constancy of testing. And, you know, one thing I would just share just as a real life example that we just used in a recent committee not only did we talk to them about a latest attack that another insurance company, so, you know, standard readout, talking about, you know, what happened, um, what was the particular attack, we were then able to pivot and talk to that same committee, which contained, you know, our risk officer, head of audit, head of privacy, head of compliance, and say, okay, and this is how we responded to the same attack and be able to show them those results. And so- Oh, that's awesome. It, it, yeah, it's just giving a real perspective and kind of reality check to the conversations that we're having. Yeah, when you said data-driven earlier, you weren't kidding. Mm -hmm. you're, you're driving this data through the whole business at this point. Oh, yeah. So GRC audit, risk, compliance, everybody's a happy camper if you're, if you're feeding them the, the, the real-world, real-time information here. That's, I get it. I totally get that. Now you've got uh, a blended team where attack, detect- and respond are all sort of fused together. You've got a GRC function tied into that as well. You're partnering with audit uh, closely. And, and by the way, I'm very happy to hear you say audit partners are your best friends. Too many CISOs treat audit like anything from an affront to a nuisance. And I'm with you. I believe that they're there. I believe they're there to do us right. I believe that they're there to keep us all in line with our own estimations and projections, right? I mean, ultimately, that's what they're doing is saying, Hey, security guys, you said you were going to secure the thing. Did you secure the thing? I've been in situations where the auditors found me wanting. I've been there before. And I have been able to actually take that upstairs and say, hey, we, we tried. We, we spent. We got to here. Auditors still aren't happy. We got to double down. 
you know, and, and, and it sounds like failure. It seems like failure. It feels like you want to be defensive in the face of it, but I've actually had a bad audit better my program before. Absolutely. Um, I've, I've been there. I've, I've been, been there. there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, you have to be transparent with audit because that really translates to the transparency that is required to the board. And that is the most important job of a CISO is transparency and truthfulness in the situation at hand. And, you know, audit only has so much time to spend with you. So use it wisely. And I, I, I oftentimes will say, come to this area because we aren't quite as mature as we'd like to be. And you can help to inform our priorities and things we may not even see. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. Right, right. Come, come be the second set of eyes on a problem we already know is a problem area and come help us shine a flashlight on it so we can collectively go upstairs and say, nay, 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 this is the, the true nature of the problem. And here's what we think is needed to address it and solve it going forward. Audit as allies. I, I, I love that model. You mentioned earlier that Baz was uh, data-driven, you know, helping your program be data-driven. And you mentioned that part of what it's there to do is measure the efficiency or the accuracy or the, uh, the efficacy, let's say, the efficacy of your program. Is it achieving that goal? Are you changing your people process and technology based on the outputs of Baz? Like how much are you seeing it truly informed? We talked about sort of some hypotheticals earlier about, oh, yeah, I can tweak my tech stack. How much is it changing people, process, and technology when you run Baz, find results and make alterations to accommodate those results and rerun to get better results, like how often is it truly changing people, process, and technology? Listen, I would say we're getting there in answering that question because it does take time. As I think about Baz on, you know, the maturity, how you use it, you know, right now we're very focused on being threat-led and it means, you know, first and foremost, how is it changing people? Well, it's changing mindsets in a way that we think about how we are prioritizing the risk that we face. And so it, it is definitely changing that mindset. We think we're threat-led until you actually see the data, if that makes sense. And right. so it's also something I want to change in the way that we're presenting our progress. To date, we've been reporting on just maturity, right? How well are we maturing across the different domains? The next thing we're going to focus on is risk reporting and just almost at the same time, I want to incorporate and report on our ability to actually respond to threats. So using BAS, using MITRE, be able to report out um, to all of those different entities that this isn't just you know risk, here's all the risks. This isn't just maturity, but this is also, and by the way, when you think about the threats we have, this is how well we're able to respond when you look at this collective. I think having those different kind of framing or lenses, uh, I should say, for me, when, when I go back to the tools, people, and process, that will help to start to drive the way that we are prioritizing our asks, our budgets, our focus, what we're tackling. And so I here's what I'd say is, I think it's changing kind of mindsets, but I think where it has to really go further to get to the point of it, altering some of the other kind of actions and activities and even some of our strategy, I think, is is really getting to that next phase. And so that's that's really what's planned this year. To date, a lot of it is, as we've described, um, it's really just been, you know, how we're prioritizing, how we're talking to each other, how we're enhancing. But it really has to go to that next level. And, and I think that's where we'll see this more comprehensive kind of changeover because 
you really have something that's informing you in a way that we've just not seen, uh, at least in our environment. And so that's where I think we'll see that sort of transformation effort. But I do think we're being effective. I mean, the fact that we have that as our goal this year um, and that we're progressing towards it is, is huge progress. The positive side of that story is the impact is obviously there. You know the tool is capable of pushing you further than you've pushed so far. You know that people, process, and technology will all three ultimately uh, bend around this this data-informed process. You see that. It's on your horizon. It's a set goal. You know, so, so that tells me, even if you haven't gotten there directly yourself, that tells me Baz is doing what Baz is supposed to be doing. It's tangible. It's inside. And you can see that on the horizon that, that yes, we're, we're already altering and flexing so much now. We're going to so much more going forward. And you know that's coming. So it sounds to me like it's it's doing what it needs to do. You're just you're you're just personally on that journey of, you know, heading heading all the way down that destination, but it sounds like it's there. Exactly. So listen, we're getting towards the end of the show. I got one question I ask every guest and actually I'm going to sneak in a bonus question this time too. The first question is, tell us what keeps you going in cybersecurity. Why do you get out of bed in the morning ready to dive into another day in infosec? I've done so much in my career and I've been working full-time since I was 19 years old. This I love it. It's my favorite thing. I mean, I should say it's my favorite thing I've ever done. Makes it sound like I've been doing it for a while. There's something about this sort of deep sense of responsibility in keeping customer and employee data safe. It it really is something that it drives me. It's also all about risk. And I love risk. Assessing it, weighing it, deciding what you tackle, what you don't. It's where my brain lives. And I think being in security takes a certain passion for data protection and a certain mindset. And I love working with people like that because there's a deep sense of caring and Mm -hmm. who wouldn't like working with people like that. It does make it very worthwhile to get up every morning and work with the people I do. I've got a friend who refers to it as a noble pursuit. Yes. And I think that's, that's in line with what you're saying there. All right. So the surprise bonus question for the end of the show, what are you looking forward to in cyber? I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to the continued diversity in our talent. I am deeply passionate about seeing diverse talent come into the field. And in my spare time, I do a lot of work both with the Alliance of Women in Technology in kind of gender diversity, but it's also in um, racial diversity, LGBTQ. And I'm so excited to see that you know, new kind of wave of talent coming in and seeing those diverse minds come in and be represented in the cyberspace. So I, I'm sure you the, the, the idea is I'm supposed to say some cool technical thing, but it's the people. It's the people. And I, I love to see that diversity of talent come into the field because it only makes us better. That's fantastic. Diversity as the what's coming over the horizon that gets you excited. That's beautiful. That that beats any technical answer you could have given me. I love it. Well, Marlis Rogers, CISO at CSAA Insurance Group. Thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs> <laughs>